what happens after we die? It's a big question. It's a huge question. What happens after death? And I know there are a lot of people who don't want to talk about it, let alone think about death. And perhaps you might be one of those. I know that my wife is never happy when I bring it up at the dinner table about dying or my absence or life insurance or the fact that I think it would be great some days to just get hit by a bus and called home. I'm not sure why she doesn't share in my joy, but I know for a lot of people that this is a hard topic. For me, the topic of death and life after death is one of my favorite. I love it. And you might be thinking to yourself, Jake, that's a bit morbid. That's a bit dark, don't you think? And yeah, you're probably right. The reality is I am sick. I am sick in the head. Some of you already know that because you know me well. But what I mean by that is I am homesick. And if you really know me, you know that I have been homesick for about five years now. I think about heaven all the time. I look forward to it. I long for it. I cannot wait to step foot and be and live in my eternal home. I cannot wait. Now, to be clear, I don't desire to die. I'm not like going out and looking for the opportunity to jump out of an airplane without a parachute, but I sure as heck do not fear death anymore. I understand when Paul said, oh, death, where is your sting? I get that now. And so what happens when we die? And here's the big secret and probably a reason why I'm not as afraid as I probably should be is this, is that we don't. We don't really die. Yes, our bodies, they will cease to function. This magnificent physique that you see before you, this specimen of a body will deteriorate. It will shut down and eventually it will decay. And as Solomon said, dust will return to dust. And so, yes, in a way, in a roundabout way, our bodies, they will die. But the real you, your soul, your spirit, what makes you, you, will never die. Here's how Paul describes it. He says, for we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house. Where's that house going to be? In heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies, to which anyone over 40 is saying, amen, amen. And we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing, which is a beautiful word picture. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. Verse 4. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan, we sigh, but it's not that we want to die. This is what I was talking about earlier. It's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that, that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. And here's the best part, verse 6. So, we are always confident. We are confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not home with the Lord. 
Yes, we are fully confident and would much prefer, there's a preference here, to leave these earthly bodies, to leave this earth and to be home with the Lord. Another translation says to be absent of the body is to be present with the Lord. And I, I hope you caught that, is that heaven is our home. Heaven is our home. One of my favorite stories that I heard is about a couple, a missionary couple, a husband and a wife who had served their entire life on the field. They dedicated everything to Jesus and they served him in the slums and all of a sudden it's gotten to be the time where they're coming home. It's retirement time, a job well done. And so they get on a plane and they're coming back to the States. And when they're coming back to the States, what they didn't know is that on that plane was a band, a very famous band. And they were returning at the same time that, the, that this couple was returning to the same time as the States. And so when they arrived at the airport, what this couple saw was crowds, thousands upon thousands of people with, with signs that said, welcome home. And, and, and they're cheering and there's music and they're screaming and they're singing and they're fainting. It's, this band is coming home. And this husband, in the midst of all of this, as he's getting off the plane, is bumped. He's like, man. And the, and the wife notices this. And so he, she asks, what's going on? It's like, yeah, I... We served our whole life. We gave it all to Jesus on the field. We, our best years were spent serving other people. And there's not even one person to greet us at the airport when we come home. And the wife, she looked at the husband wisely and said, Honey, we're not home yet. We're not home yet. The author of Hebrews says it like this. He says, for this world, this fallen world, this earth as we know it now, is not, it is not our permanent home. We are, catch this, looking forward to a home yet to come. Paul says it like this. He says, we are citizens of what? Of heaven. That is our home where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. Heaven is our home. Heaven is our home. And as amazing as that is, and as breathtaking as it is described in the Bible, we don't really give it a whole lot of thought, do we? I confess to you, prior to Maggie's passing, prior to losing my daughter, I honestly did not think about heaven all that much. It wasn't something that ran through my brain. I just thought I'd get there when I get there, and it'll be great when I get there. But even as a pastor... The afterlife was an afterthought. It, it truly was. And, and what I've come to understand is that this out-of-sight, out-of-mind reality of heaven is the reality for so many, right? We don't talk about heaven. In fact, few pastors teach on the topic. Yeah, we, we, of course, we tell you how to get to heaven, and we tell you that it's better than the alternative, but... We have not made it a focus as a Christian community, as a church body. The, the, the promise of heaven it used to be a pillar in the early church. It was a pillar. It was a, it was a beacon of hope that they all ran to. Wayne Grudem, he wrote a book called Systematic Theology. I got it here. I brought it. I wanted you to see it. It's a thick book. 
1,289 pages. I read every single one of them when I was in college. This was one of my texts. And this is kind of like the gold standard when it comes to Christian theology. Now, here's what's interesting. Is that out of the 1,289 pages, only three of them spoke about heaven. Friends, that is less than a quarter of 1%. That's not much. That is not much when it comes to Christian theology to spend talking about heaven. A British theologian named J.C. Ryle, he said this. He said, I pity the man who doesn't think about heaven, right? Sounds like Mr. T. I pity the fool who doesn't think about what the life is to come. And as truly astounding to me is that we give such little attention we, to the place where we plan to spend, we hope to live forever. We barely think about it. And like I said, for me personally, this was, this was me too. The afterlife was an afterthought. That is, until we lost our daughter. When we walked our little girl into the doorstep of heaven, when we, when we were forced to say goodbye to her, I had an immediate, insatiable desire, an unquenching craving to learn, to know, to understand everything I could, every single detail that I could possibly know about heaven. Why? Because I suddenly had a vested interest My daughter was there, and I wanted to know what she was doing up there. As a dad, I wanted to know, I needed to know, is she okay? What's she doing today? When Maggie was in preschool, uh, a little bit after she got her diagnosis, we went to the first day, kind of the introduction of Um, with the teachers, and they kind of walk you through what's going to happen inside of the class. And I wanted to know, my wife and I, we were very interested in what she would be doing there. And so they showed us. She has a little cubby with her name on it, and and there's the little carpet where she's going to sit with her little carpet square, and her name is on the wall over there. And I wanted to know all the details of what she was going to do in her day because I wanted to know as a dad. And I think that's natural, right? I think that's natural when it comes to heaven, when we lose someone, somebody that we love, someone that we cannot live without. When we are suddenly faced, even with our, in our own lives, with the reality of our mortality, a diagnosis comes along, a lump, some sort of time limit that's placed on our life here on earth. We want to know. We start to wonder what heaven is like. And then suddenly heaven moves from the back of our mind as an afterthought to the forefront where we got to know. And I think this is natural. I think this is natural. And not only that, I think it's intentional. Like it or not, God uses suffering. He uses disease. He even uses death to unfasten us from the things of this earth so that we can put our hearts and our minds on the things above And so I've come to notice that um, those that are in their twilight years, those who are a little bit older and who have experienced life and even great loss, right? They have a friend that is gone. Maybe their spouse has moved on. and, And the life that they knew and the things that they held dear are no longer present. And so what happens is that person 
starts to look ahead. Instead of looking back, instead of living even in the moment, they start to look ahead and spend more time thinking and dreaming about heaven. And, and, and there they find perspective, and, and there they find peace. And Jesus promises us that. He truly does. For me and my wife, this, this gift, and, I, and you know what, I'm going to call it a gift. This gift of perspective came into our lives a whole lot earlier than normal. We didn't have to wait till our twilight years right? It happened early on. I used to think when I was younger that, that the longer I walked with Jesus, the easier it would be to become heavenly minded, to think about the things of heaven. Unfortunately, I have found the opposite to be true. The longer that I've been here on earth, the deeper my roots have dug, the more entrenched that I have become in the things of this earth. It took Losing our daughter to kind of uproot that in us. It took an unbearable loss to, to lift our eyes and to focus towards heaven. And I want that for you. I, I do. I want that for you. And please hear me. I don't want you to have to walk the hell that we had to walk. What I want to try to do, if this is at all possible is to simply give you this gifted perspective that we had been given without the pain and without the heartache on the front end. And what it is, is it is a way of living with heaven in mind. Living with heaven in mind. And so that's why we're doing this series. That's why um, I'm so excited to preach on the topic of heaven. I am so excited to do so that I am not sharing the load. I am speaking for the next five weeks straight because I love this topic and I just don't want to share. I just want to do it. I want to talk about what is to come and the hope that we have in eternity. And so here's what I've learned. How we think about eternity determines how we live today. How we think about eternity determines how we live right here and now. And I'd even use the word often. How often we think about eternity determines how we live today. If heaven is our home, wouldn't it be wise to spend some time learning about, looking into, researching where we are going? Imagine you're going to take a trip to Mars. You are going to be one of the first to get on a rocket ship and shoot up to Mars and put your feet and your footprint on that planet. You're one of the first. And so what you do is you prepare, right? You absolutely prepare. You study. What is Mars going to be like? What is it going to be like when you step on that planet? You're, you, you practice emergency situations. You learn how to fly a rocket ship. You learn everything you need to know to go be a part of that planet. And today is the day. You're finally there. You're about to launch off. You're on the pad. You're strapped in. You're ready to go. They're starting to count down. And you ask the person to your left, what do you know about Mars? What do you think it's going to be like? And they look at you, and they're like, I don't know. I'll, I'll figure it out when we get there. And they didn't do any research or any thinking. Of course, that would be ridiculous because you would want to know, right? You would want to know what it's like if you're going to move to Mars. We want to know what it's like if we move across the country. 
If we're going to go from this state to that state, we look at schools, we look at housing markets, we look at job opportunities, we look at the culture. Where's the supermarket? Do they have a workout center? What do they have? We look at all of these things. And it's the same thing when it comes. If we're going to go to heaven, we should probably spend a little bit of time researching, looking at what God says it's going to be like. And so, what is heaven going to be like? Can we even know what it's going to be like? Or is heaven just so amazing it's beyond our imagination? Now, there are a lot of Christians who would say, yes, uh, heaven is beyond our imagination. And what they're doing is they're referencing a verse in 1 Corinthians 2. And this is where Paul says this. He says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, if you were to read that, you would also think, yeah, that's pretty darn clear. Nobody can know or conceive what heaven will be like. But that is not the end of the thought. <laughs> that is not even the end of the sentence. It goes on into verse 10. Here's what it says. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what the Lord, what God has prepared for those who love him. But, and that is a big but, but. God has revealed it. He has shown it. He has shared it. He has given us a glimpse to who? To us. How? By his spirit. It is an amazing verse. That's an amazing verse. The problem is almost always when I've ever heard it used, it is used incorrectly. It is used to prove precisely the opposite of what it actually means. And friends, that's why it's so important that when we look at Scripture, we look at it in context. It's so important. I believe, I believe that we have been given a glimpse of heaven. We have to use what I would say is our biblical imagination. We start with this and we use this, right? We, we use the Bible and what the Bible says about heaven, and we also use our imagination. For example, the Bible says that heaven is going to be beautiful. There's going to be so much beauty there. We can imagine beauty, right? We've seen a waterfall before. We have watched a sunset. We maybe have watched a sunrise from a beach. We know what beauty looks like. The Bible tells us there's going to be a great feast there. Can you imagine that? We all can imagine what a great feast is like. We've eaten at Chick-fil-A. We know what good food is. The Bible has said that in heaven there will be no tears. Can you imagine what it would be like to have no tears? You probably can't, if you're a parent of a kid during a pandemic, you can't imagine what a household of no tears looks like. But on a normal day, on a regular time period, you could imagine what life is like without having tears and pain. Heaven is so worth looking forward to. In fact, look back at a verse that we read in Hebrews, but notice a couple different words. For this world is not our permanent home. We are, here it is, looking forward to a home yet to come. Looking forward to a home yet to come. Coming home. A longing to come home. Maybe you can relate to this. Maybe you've gone on a vacation or a trip before, and unfortunately, it took a turn for the worst, for the miserable. Something broke. Someone got sick. Something went wrong. 
And then one thing, what was the one thing when all that was happening, when everything went downhill, what was the one thing that you desired to do more than anything else? That's to go home. I just want to go home. Like Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz, there is no place like home. There is no place like home. There is no place like home when it comes to my wife. She loves home. She loves to go on vacation. But you know what I think she likes more than going on vacation? It's coming home. Because every time we come back from a trip, when we walk into the house without fail, she'll get in there before I will, always. I'm grabbing the stuff out of the back of the car or with the truck or whatever we're doing. I got the bags. And I can hear her yelling from outside of the house. I can hear her inside of the house screaming the words, we're home. We're home. She walks through the house screaming, we're home. She does this almost every time we go on a trip. So much so that my kids now, when we come home, they start screaming, we're home. Mommy, we're home. Sometimes I wonder why I even go on vacation at all. My wife is so excited to get back. We could have saved a whole lot of money and a whole lot of time if we just stayed home. But that craving that desire, that yearning of coming home is so sweet and it is so deep and it is God embedded in us. It's in our DNA. Most likely at some point in your life, you have probably come to realize or to sense somehow that you, you don't belong here. Something's off deep down inside. You've never felt like you fit, like that you should be somewhere else, right? I just don't, this is not where I'm supposed to be. C.S. Lewis put it like this. He says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were meant or made for another world. That feeling, that sense, that longing is homesickness. We instinctively desire to be in a place that we have not yet seen, but at the same time, we know is already home. Near the end of Maggie's life, a friend of mine, Jesse, wrote a song, and he blessed us with this song. It was amazing. He, he wrote it. He texted it to my, my wife and I. We got it. We listened to it in our bed, and we were sobbing. And It's a song that captures the idea of longing for home, longing for heaven. It's called Heaven One Day. And we love this song so much that he, and it was so special to us. And he he sang it. We asked if he would sing it at Maggie's funeral. And he was actually, of all things, on vacation with his family in Oregon. And he left his vacation in Oregon and, and drove up here by himself to sing that song at Maggie's funeral. And he blessed us so much, and then he just drove straight back to his vacation right after that. And it was beautiful. It's a beautiful song. And what's amazing is very recently, he's had the opportunity to record that song. And he recorded it on Abbey Road. He got to go to the same recording studio that the Beatles recorded in. And, and he asked me after he did this re-recording, is if I would make the music video of it, if I would put the song to Maggie's life or a period in her life. And I love, you got to know this, I love making videos of my daughter. We got a lot of footage because we knew she was going to pass. So we spent 
she spent her life, the end of her life, with the cameras on all the time. And when I'm making videos, what I love about it is I get to see uh, what she looks like again, and it's more implanted in my mind, how she moved, how she sounded, how she laughed. And I get to make a video of her, and it's like I'm spending time with her again. And so, friends, this might be too personal, and I really did question whether or not I should show this and include this. But this is how we became homesick in the first place. This is why we long for heaven. It's a song all about heaven and all about longing for heaven and what it will be like one day. Watch this. All right, we got to sit back here, though. Yeah. I want to be with you. Oh, yeah? I want to talk with you. Okay. Um... Like a flower in the prime of bloom, like a sweet magnolia in June, like the smell of your sweet perfume, even after you leave the room. Even after you leave the room Like a breath that leaves a trace Like a dent in your favorite space Like the smile still on my face Even after you leave this place even after you leave this place But the hard part of letting go Is that we'll just plain miss you so But it's not like it's for always Cause we gonna dance in heaven one day Gonna dance in heaven one day Like a wave in the ocean wide Like the clockwork of the tide Like my love won't be denied Even after you leave my side even after you leave my side But the hard part of letting go Is that we'll just plain miss you so But it's not like it's for always Cause we're gonna dance in heaven one day Gonna dance in heaven one day
that's found its wings Like a song you can't help but sing Like it is with all good things You can't fly in a fist that clings So we release you to the king It's you so But it's not like it's far away Cause we gonna dance in heaven one day We gonna dance in heaven one day So watch for me there One day, if we know Jesus, we'll go home. We get to go home. One day, we're going to walk through those pearly gates. And one day, we're going to dance on streets of gold. One day, we're going to see those that we lost, those that have gone before us, we'll begin to see them again. And then one day, top it all off, we're going to see Jesus face to face. That, that will be a good day. That will be our best day. But until then, May we live every day with heaven in mind. May we not forget the promise that Jesus himself has given us, that one day we get to go home. Next week, I'm truly excited to start unpacking the details of specifically what heaven is going to be like and what the Bible tells us it's going to be like. And what I want to do is I want to start with a paradigm shift. At least it might not be a shift for you, but it was for me. And here's what I mean. Most people think that when we go to heaven, when we die and we pass into eternity, we are immediately with Jesus. We're in heaven and that's where we're going to stay. And all of that is true, except for one thing. When we die, when we go to heaven, at some point in time, at some point in eternity, heaven is going to move. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. As for now, let's close out by singing together about our home.